Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision, the FinTech Views, and uh, I think I can still say Happy New Year 2024. This is Theo, your host for the episode. Joining us on the show today is Ian Horn, Head of Content Europe at Money 2020 and the author of Why DeFi Matters, published by Coben Page my wonderful colleagues over in London. So welcome to the show, Ian. Hi, Theo. Thanks for having me on. Really good to be here. Same here. I loved that we actually got a chance to connect at uh, Money 2020 Vegas. I know how hard it is that it's always like a whirlwind, if you will. It is. It's it's really difficult. But as I was trying to find you, I actually walked into the wrong party. So to whoever that was running that, that gave me all the free food and drinks, thank you to them. I don't know who they are, but thanks. And I did find you in the end. So it was great to actually put a face to a name. And uh, yeah, as you say, Money 2020 is a whole show, isn't it? And I mean, I'm not just saying that because I work there. It's, it's hard to find someone. So I am delighted I found you, albeit via someone else's party. Oh, well, to whoever that stranger was who gave you the free food, thank you. And thank you for letting <laughs> you come over so we could actually say hi. That was the yes. show that you launched your new book, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So the book had been out in the UK and several other territories at the start of October, but it hadn't been launched in America. So I had the, yeah, I'm obviously talking this up to all my friends. I got to do a Las Vegas book launch and no one ever needs to know another detail about my life other than that I've done a Las Vegas book launch. So honestly, it was a hell of an experience. And, and you know what? We got a good audience. We had people from Ripple, Circle, Fireblocks and the Blockchain Foundation there had a lovely panel talking about why the topic's important. And also not only did we have loads of people there, but several of my colleagues turned up to, to see the, the book launch too, which really made my day. So yeah, that was the whole thing was a blur genuinely, but, but such an experience. That is awesome. I'll, I'll let you on a secret too. My neighbor was actually there. Really? Wow. Yes. He's from Iron Mountain and uh, he came back. I didn't know he was at the show. He came back and we we're just chatting at the bus stop, the kids bus stop, realized that he was in Vegas. He's like, oh yeah, I, I went to uh, this, this book launch on a DeFi book. I'm like, oh, you met <laughs> no Ian. Way. So this is a small world. You're famous, my friend. Um, wow. and <laughs> Isn't that cool? That is very cool. That is so cool. <laughs> it, it, it was, I'm like, oh, wait, so you skipped my party and you went to Ian's party. Thank you. I, I won your party. Damn. <laughs> yeah, he Damn. missed my party. I was, anyway, that's okay. I gave, <laughs> I gave him a break. But um, jokes aside, I do love how you've structured the book. And we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. This is not an easy topic to tackle. No. And you had a lot of different chapters, a lot of different context and terms and concepts. You managed to give people examples in simple terms that after I read it, I did not have a headache, which is amazing, amazing, amazing thing to do. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard, right? We talked about this because a lot of the things are still evolving. A lot of the topics are highly technical in nature. I don't think. And I'm not sure if everyone could truly appreciate what you have been able to do, which I had not seen most people being able to explain that. Question for you, what prompts you to write the book and write it in a way that is accessible to so many people and why now? 
Yeah. Well, firstly, thank you. That's it's really kind of you to say that about the book because that was a challenge I felt going into it. And I, and as I when I pitched this to Kogan Page, I said I I really felt there was a lack of clear and understandable uh, dialogue uh, or, or I guess monologue if it's a book, um, you know, <laughs> on on the topic. And I started writing it, and I'll admit the first chapter that I wrote, the first draft of it. I immediately start to feel very insecure, like I needed to row back on that promise because writing about decentralized finance in a way that's accessible is not easy, as you say. But then I read, um, I forget the full name of the article, but, but um, Matt Levine from Bloomberg wrote an incredible piece on blockchain um, a few years ago. And I read that and it was so accessible, such a good read. I think he takes a slightly different angle on it than I do. But I read that and it was so entertaining and I thought, okay, damn, I, I need to stop, you know, making excuses. You can actually do it. It's just very difficult. So I, I, I then set about trying to achieve that promise. And I'm glad you think I, I came good on it. I wrote the book because I felt like there's a real story not being told of decentralized finance. I think we get what the media kind of tells us and also what social media tells us too, because there are these big stories, these big crimes, frauds, scams, all that stuff. There's overnight millionaires, there's overnight losses and it's wild, right? This, this whole new world of finance, you know, largely kind of coalescing around the story of, of Bitcoin has led to conversations. I don't think are particularly informed. So I wanted to kind of let the reader know what's actually going on here and how, I guess to put it in more blunt terms, how the introduction of blockchain and smart contracts can change the financial landscape. So this was, you know, there was a need to tell the real story. It's such a polarizing topic in a way that's really confusing when you think about it, cryptocurrency. Someone has created digital currency, you know, and it sits outside of a central bank. When you say it like that, no one gets that excited unless they work in our industry, you know. <laughs> but actually, for some reason, this has become this huge, huge cultural moment. And and I think people have missed so much, right? People have talked about cartoon apes and them selling for millions. You talk about like pet rocks selling for millions, that kind of stuff, which has all happened. But DeFi has led to technology uh, and innovations that is reshaping the way we we look at asset management. It's changing the way that some people are looking at payments. It's it's doing all manner of things. And if you look at NFTs, for instance, obviously I touched upon them with the ape stuff. It's also changing the way people look at loyalty and membership schemes, all that kind of stuff. So last thing I'll say, because I, I feel like this can, it's so easy to get rambling on this topic. I talked about a lot of things. I think when you look at innovation, there's two ways to look at it. Usually, you, yeah, if you're innovating in a business sense, you're either changing something within an existing structure or you're saying, nah, let's rip that up and create something entirely new. For me, crypto and DeFi is the closest thing I've seen in finance in recent generations to just ripping stuff up and starting again. So I think we need to then look at what that means. And it's more than just finance, it, you know, the, the implications are huge, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's more than uh, apes, too. Um, it I, is, yeah. <laughs> I don't own one, though. I know people who do. I don't own one. Yeah. Do you know what? When I was writing, I felt like I had an obligation to actually buy some crypto and, and play around with these tools, of course. I'm not, you know, I came from a background that wasn't necessarily crypto 
So I, I understand finance. I was a networker for financial advisors and wealth managers. You know, I was lucky enough to spend seven years of my career speaking to some of the UK's biggest uh, and most important investors, which was incredible. And that's kind of gave, what gave me an insight here. Um, but I did buy some silly NFTs, completely pointless ones. I even minted some of my own as well. And yeah, I don't really see... I can see how they can have utility, but for me, it was mostly about just playing around. I own a, a kind of cartoon of a bulldog that's wearing a hat, I think. I can't remember the name of the collection, but it's um, if someone wants to buy it off me for a lot of money, they're more than welcome. That's what, what I'll say. <laughs> I remember having one that was a generative art. It was really interesting. You're able to trace through the different variations of how the algorithm changed the look and the color and the scheme of the art. I know yeah. it's somewhere in the stack. There's some, really, there some really cool ones though. And, and I've seen some you know, NFT art installations that genuinely look mind blowing. So I, I mean, it's easy to look at these things and be facetious, but there is actually some really cool stuff going on. But you know, one thing I mentioned in the book is sometimes people don't realize what they're buying and NFTs can have the, um, the image might be stored on the blockchain, but often it's not. And what people have actually bought is a web link. Um, and, and the rights to basically what's, well, not even necessarily the rights, but they basically have proof that they, you know, have access, unique access to whatever's behind the web link. And, you know, famously, someone did actually sell an NFT. And then as soon as everyone bought it, they changed the image from whatever it was to image of a, of a poo emoji. And the thing is, you can do that. And obviously, the person who bought it was miffed and annoyed, but hadn't read the small print. So I think, you know, the NFT hype has led to some absolute nonsense, but the technology itself is is, is pretty sound. The tech is, is really interesting. And earlier you talked about blockchain and smart contracts being able to change different aspects of finance. And we do see that, right? We do see it, for example, with cross-border payments, which after so many years is still an area that still needs to work. Regardless, I think there's some interesting innovation coming down the road. I do want to ask you this because I get asked very often yeah. when you write the book, what are some of the key messages that you want people to take away from when they read your book? Yeah. What are the one things that, you know, you want them to remember? Yeah, that, that's, uh, it, it's something that I think became more clear to me as I wrote it. Um, cause I, I set out with an aim to kind of clarify what's going on. Uh, but I'd say one thing I want people to take away is to distance themselves from what they read and what they see online. And then kind of people get these ideas, they get very emotionally attached to kind of a pro or a con when it comes to decentralized finance. And I'd really urge people to, to, to take a step back when they read it and then consider what digital finance really means to them, because there's no right or wrong answers here. And actually your perspective is going to be variant on your life experience and your circumstances. And again, technology, you know, the idea that crypto is necessarily good or bad is, is itself a strange idea. It's technology. You know, what you do with it is the, you know, is really what, what matters. So yeah, it's, it's one of these things. I think it's easy when you look at something like DeFi, if you're from a prosperous nation and you're from a relatively privileged background, you can very easily look at it and kind of sneer at it and say, well, you know, there's nothing here for me. This is kind of frivolous and we don't need it. And, you know, we've got a perfectly good and well-regulated financial system. Why would we change that? I think that view has merit, but also kind of discredits the fact that not everyone is treated fairly or kindly by the financial system. And, and in a way, it's the failures 
in financial inclusion and the failures in in certain national economies that lead to the, the appeal of crypto in an international sense and, and the same for DeFi. So I, I would definitely try and get people to take a more global outlook and perhaps to kind of park their prejudice is po- possibly a strong word, but to park that before they start learning. But also just to understand, I mean, there's so many messages here, right? As, you, as you've kind of flagged, I covered a lot. I covered NFTs, CBDCs, you know, central bank digital currencies, um, you know, DeFi protocols. I've covered DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. So the organization structures that can underpin uh, DeFi. There's so much going on. And I, I think I'm basically just trying to get people to really think about what these things mean and to understand, you know, try and understand what's going on before they cheer for something or boo it. And uh, there are a million and one other messages I could go into, but I think that's the broad kind of overarching one. I, I love it. I, I think in the past few years, especially being around in different places, listening and talking to different people, and then coming back to the US or spending time in the UK, you see different views of ecosystems and how they approach innovation, how they approach technology. I had not seen something as divisive, and I think you, you had used that word in, mm-hmm. in previous interviews. I hadn't seen a view or something that can cause so much division amongst people. As you say, a lot of us who are used to the financial services system that we have here versus those who don't have the privilege or the opportunity to access it the same way that we do, not just access, but affordability and benefits and all of those, when they don't have it, they would want to have access to something else that will work more for them. I could see the excitement more so, for example, in Asia than what I see in here. You see even the attitudes from regulators are very different in most regions. So those are nuances, if you will, but I think those will be the nuances that will drive the future of where the tech will go. I completely agree. I I absolutely agree. It's interesting. uh, You know, you touched on regulation. I think another interesting point on that is if you do have proper cryptocurrency that is just, you know, exists as code, it doesn't belong to a nation. And I think that creates interesting situations. You know, the EU is, is brought in, you know, the MICA regulations. I find it really interesting how you can try and regulate currencies where these currencies don't belong to anyone and they can't be controlled. So I don't know how you necessarily create a regime that's watertight around that. There are so many questions that have yet to be figured out. Um, and but again, as you say, there's different different approaches to to crypto in different parts of the world. I know Argentina's you know recently <laughs> elected a, a president, if I'm using the correct uh, term, you know who's pro Bitcoin, and who knows what that means for Argentina? But that's a nation that's been ravaged for years by high inflation and financial mismanagement. So again, like before we laugh at these things, it's it depends who you are, where you're from. Yeah, the same with El Salvador, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. there are many different nations that are experimenting with different ways of what is money and what does money mean to them. Yeah. I, I think there are merits to different places and how they view it. And I absolutely do agree with you. And I love what you're trying to achieve is have people park their bias, park the bias yeah. and, and think for a second what, what it could mean. 
Yeah, and actually, if if I can continue on that, there's kind of two two angles to it. I mean, one is that, and I've tried mentioning this in the subsequent blog. I don't think I made the message quite so clearly in the book, but adding smart contracts and programmability into money is an evolution of money itself. You know, if money does become primarily decentralized or crypto or even central bank digital currencies that relies on this technology, then this is the first time in, in forever that we've suddenly got money that can do so many different new tricks and, and, and leaps and jumps and things like that. That in itself has, has huge implications. And I mentioned the CBDC element of it because you now have governments that can use programmable money and people get very worked up about that. I can understand why. But ultimately, when you say you can program something, that, that in itself is a bit of an empty statement because what are you programming it to do? How much are you programming it to do? And what purposes uh, do you have for doing that? That opens up a whole load of philosophical questions. And actually, that's one of the reasons why it's such an interesting book. Uh, you know, not just because I wrote it and I'm fantastic, Theo, but because, you know, it's all sorts of things. You, you're looking at a real addition to what money can do. Now, what should we necessarily do with that? Should we use that to the maximum of its, of its capability? Should we rein it in? Should we ease it in? But also who's issuing this money? What are their intentions? We now have to ask a lot of questions if we're gonna you know, enter this different era for money. And I, I feel like people don't talk about that. We're talk, you know, every The price of Bitcoin going up or down absolutely grabs headlines and becomes big news and you know social media goes crazy with these you know line goes up line goes down i just think there's a, such a bigger and more interesting story if you're interested in finance with DeFi and what it's brought to the table so that has been another thing i've really tried to kind of bring to the fore this stuff's really consequential it is and it has the ability to move the power structure of yeah. existing governments, right? The implications is way more than what you were saying. Mm -hmm. You know, crypto prices going up and down. It, it's yeah. way bigger. I do have a question to you. So from researching the book mm -hmm. to putting it together, during the whole money 2020 yeah. calendar, working around everything, which by itself is stressful and hectic enough, how did you do that? And what surprised you the most in the whole process? And the billion yeah. dollar question, if you were to do it all over again, would you write it Oof. during Money 2020 <laughs> Europe? <laughs> I think I would do it again, but there's only so many times you can do something as mad as this. So just for some context for people, I, I started writing the book at the start of January uh, this year, well, 2023, sorry. And I finished it towards the end of May but really I finished it at the start of May that next month was edits and you know minor edits not significant ones at that point I I knew that if I could get the book written in that kind of time I would give myself a decent chance of providing a snapshot of DeFi this area moves so quickly that I think it made real sense to just throw all my energy into it and and also I mean complete the other thing we were talking about the book launch in Vegas I knew that I had a chance of doing that if I got the book written in time and that will motivate someone let's be honest but I to anyone who's thinking of writing a book just alongside a full-time job I had five months pretty much where I would wake up at 6 a.m., start writing or working. I would go to work at nine. I would then finish at whatever time, sometimes later than 5.30 because we had to run up to the show. Then I would write again. Then I would go to bed. I gave up all my hobbies. I looked a bit of a mess by the time May rolled around, I won't lie. So if you see any photos of me around then, please delete them. That would be kind of you. Um, <laughs> but it was a lot of effort, but I would do it all again because it was 
such an incredible opportunity. I was I was really grateful. I, you know, I, it's my first book. I've I've always wanted to be a published author. You know, that's another bit of self interest there. It's something I, I love writing. I love the process of writing. I love learning about new things, and it's it was a serious effort i mean if anyone who reads a book will see there's probably about 400 references in there i wasn't cut, cutting corners i didn't give myself much time but there was no way i was going to put out anything out there that i didn't think was correct or well researched or studied so i really did put a shift in to get this done i think the thing i found really interesting about it was the more i learned the more i realized just how, what a huge topic this is as we were talking about just there this you know if we talk about a change to money itself we that actually raises a lot of questions about society uh, it raises questions about the economy it raises questions about culture when we bring things like nfts into it it's it's huge and the the crazy thing for me was realizing that there were times when i knew i had a word limit to meet and i needed to write certain things but knowing i had to keep reading before i felt i could even put a single you know word out there and i'm glad you thought it was clear to read because i I, I don't think I've ever read as much as in that five months as I have in any other period of my life. Um, so I think if I was going to pick one thing that I think was interesting from learning about it, it's it was looking at how many of the things that are coming up in crypto are inherently human lessons. Money has changed a little bit, but people haven't. So understanding how people are going to, you know, I would love if I were to write the book again to do something differently. I would love to bring in a, a financial historian. So, you know, that's not my area. I'll admit that I'm a sociology grad. I would love to bring in someone who could give me that context of things that were similar that happened in the past, because I think those people could give us a really good indicator of where some of this stuff might land. And the other thing is, as I say, I'm a sociology graduate. I, I regret not being able to continue that study because I think understanding people and how societies act is a, is a really wonderful thing to learn in a different world. I'm a professor, right? I'd love to bring in someone who kind of looks into the sociology of money uh, and, and finance because, again, so much of this stuff is a, is a very human um, phenomenon. And I'd love to get their perspective to build it out. So Nick and Isabel, if you guys are listening, I think Ian just laid out <laughs> the basis of his next book, The Sociology <laughs> of Money and Finance. I literally wrote this Oof. down. I think yeah. it's beautiful because how often do we talk about money is personal and money is emotional? Money is not just a transaction, isn't it? When you yeah. send remittance from one country to the other, like migrant workers who are working in, let's say the UK, and they're sending money back to their families in, I have no idea, somewhere in Eastern Europe. It is more than just money. It's something for their family. It's something where someone else in their home country can take that and do a lot with it, open up their own small business, go to university, thrive. It, it's, it impacts so many lives along the life cycle when the money moves it's fascinating yeah. just like you know what we see in asia a lot of use cases around micro lending for farmers mm -hmm. allow them to buy equipment expand their farm operations smallhold farmers who would have never had access to finance but through the innovation now they do and they can create yeah. so much more for the next generation so money is emotional it is complex and it's personal and putting the human element on top of that layer, I would love to read that. No pressure. Oh, 
no pressure at all <laughs> you know what there's I, I i do think that's the really key thing i mean in the book there's an interview in there with uh, michael chubanian who led a ukraine blockchain fund so within hours of war breaking out in ukraine they were able to get resources to the front line i've got some incredible words from him on how that happened and why crypto is important as you say that is that is as emotional as it gets there are other things in there like um in afghanistan women using blockchain yeah sorry using crypto wallets to have some kind of financial autonomy in a system that otherwise doesn't allow them to have it so you can see how people get attachments to this stuff but also as you say money being personal my as i was saying before my background was i, I worked as a networker for financial advisors and wealth managers and i think i learned a hell of a lot from the financial advisors actually uh, in in the uk there's been a real change over the last decade or so in how people do that job and in the best financial planners will not ask you you know what percentage you want on your on your investments and how much money you want they'll start from a better place a good financial planner will ask you what you want out of life what your ambitions are what you want for your family and then they'll start doing the numbers and i think that's really telling that's what all you know if your financial advisor or planner starts from there you've got a good one and uh, yeah money is so personal so yeah to ignore that is to to miss the point sometimes so next book coming out 2025 stop there <laughs> there's only one of me <laughs> i i do i do oh jokes aside i do agree with with that lead up to wrapping up the book I joked to some of my friends that I have a book 20. I gained 20 pounds from that first book. It took me a long time to lose it. I couldn't quite get to where I was. And then I started the second book. I gained another 20 pounds. It's all the yeah. late, late night. Oh, I did the same. Up I the did hobby, the... right? Yeah. No running, yeah. no exercise. And you're working so late, you get stressed. And I ended up with chocolates and ice cream. <laughs> I was exactly the same and the photos from Money 2020 this year back that up so hey it's all good me too <laughs> <laughs> trying to work through it and and winter being sub-zero is not helping either so no. I, I I needed that break to bring my body back to shape we have the COVID 20 we have the book 20 not good now no. let's let's look at going forward moving forward we know, and I love your perspective because you've been, you've talked to different people, you've been around just by nature of what you're doing, just by nature of who you are. You are acutely aware of how different regions look at different technologies and their attitudes and the future of finance. Mm -hmm. From your vantage point, and I know we shouldn't use the word prediction because it's less lonely, so I'm doing <laughs> predictions for the new year. But if we were to, think about, let's say, short-term, long-term, do you think mm -hmm. anything is really going to change? And, and this is not just me being cynical. It's more like me sitting mm -hmm. here and thinking about, we keep saying FinTech will change, how we look at finance. We keep thinking about how we would do a lot of these things differently, but let's be honest here. We have created a lot of different companies that made UX more beautiful? Has it really solved the fundamental mm -hmm. challenges that we have in financial services? I'd say not really, but I'm curious to hear from you. What do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, when it comes to crypto itself, I, I know what you mean. I, I can see a version of the world where crypto becomes a, a long-standing and very significant part of the economy. I can see a version of the world where it fizzles out and exists as, as a, a kind of side issue really and another thing if i can give the kind of weasel answer i think a lot of this depends on geopolitics and society 
So if I can predict that, then you know I should be doing far more than just writing books. If I could predict that, I would be buying lottery tickets and things like that. Um, but I, I genuinely think what's interesting though about trying to make the world a better place and i think that's a really key thing well again one how do you define that what, what you and i think that is might be one thing what someone else thinks that is something else but what i would say i quite like about the impact of crypto is it has i think made other people feel more accountable it's possibly no coincidence that we see a rise in things like account to account payments and fed now in america and, and basically initiatives to try and create quicker settlements and cheaper and faster settlements and payments um, you know, since people were for a long time talking about how great crypto was. So there is that. It doesn't mean you can just force crypto into things, though, because ultimately, whether or not people can use that money in a certain jurisdiction will depend on all sorts of things. You know, it, it hasn't necessarily made had any impact on remittances to Africa, for instance, when people used to always say that was going to be the big use case for crypto. There's no real evidence to say that it's doing that. So it's, you know, yes and no. I guess there are other things like, uh, I think the technology of, of again blockchain and smart contracts could be very useful in tokenizing assets so the way we understand asset management i mean we're seeing it already in in terms of bonds and a couple of you know people are trying to do it with shares um wine real estate all that sort of stuff so we may then get to a point where people are able to trade their assets more freely easily cheaply so i think the one thing that has definitely come about from crypto is one companies are actually starting to use this technology and these are large asset managers and banks they're using it to to improve what they do and, and secondly i think it's almost created a bit of an accountability you know people have used crypto to say well here's what's wrong with the financial system it, i think that has been a prompt for some people to kind of improve what they do i don't know you know i don't buy into a utopian version or a dystopian version of it but i i think innovation has had some impact i think there's still a fundamental problem though and i think the thing that it doesn't solve is there needs to be profitable business models for for technologies to to serve the underserved and to bank the un unbanked and, and things like that and i don't think crypto necessarily solves that problem i mean let's say yet but i, I don't see that um so it's it's part of the solution. Again, technology is always part of the solution. There are so many, you know, if you were trying to make a fairer and better financial system, technology helps, but it's not the first thing that may meet you know that needs to be fixed. I like that. I'm actually use that quote. Um, tech is and can be part of the solution, but it's not the first thing that needs to be fixed. Humans, we forget about humans. <laughs> yeah, and we're perennially broken. So, what can you do? <laughs> robots. I heard robots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Replace it all with AI. It's twenty, you know, twenty twenty four now. It's all AI. It's all it's all large language now. We forgot who programmed the robots. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Wait, okay, it'll go wrong working. again. Never mind. Yeah. All right. We're keeping <laughs> sci fi writers employed. It's fine. We are, we are. More Star Wars beauties. Before we wrap in, do share with us what gets you the most excited for the new year. Other yeah, than money twenty twenty coming up, <laughs> oh, I can't do a shameless plug of our product. I, I am giving you a plug. Yes, go um, do you want, I, I, Obviously, that will be amazing. Show, by the way, of all the uh, money twenty twenty, that around the world, the Amsterdam one is still my favorite location. By the way, I like well, it. Thank you. I'm going to avoid any internal politics here, and and just say thanks. Um, but. The, the, the... 
<laughs> no, um, but I, I'm looking forward to another year of that. Obviously, it's it's an incredible thing to be part of. But I think what I like about the year is the chance to just re, like gather my thoughts, start again, and and then you know I, every year is a, a kind of blank page, and you know we're writers, we should be comfortable with that. So that's that's a nice thing. I don't have anything specific in mind for this this next year, but I'm excited to kind of go again. 2023 was a crazy year for me, right? First year, full year working for Money 2020, you know, and, and feeling, you know, populating the stages in Amsterdam and then doing a book launch in Vegas, writing a book in the first half of the year. It was a really full on year for me. So I'm looking forward to building on that. I'll continue my blog. I do write a regular, uh, not a, a kind of semi-regular blog on DeFi called New Adventures in DeFi. I am a little bit exhausted from writing the book, so I, but I will pick up on that in the new year. So I'm looking forward to doing more of that. And then also seeing, you know, just seeing what the year holds. I've got a few ideas, but I'm keeping them under wraps for now, but I'll probably be keeping myself far too busy. And, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to that. Busy is good, as some people would tell me, keeping you busy will keep you out of trouble. So that's not a bad thing. Now, <laughs> since I do love food, that is one of my mm. passions. I like food and liquid food. If you were to describe this past year, 2023, with a mm. dish, what would that be? By the way, you are the first person that I've asked that in the last five years. <laughs> really? Okay. Yes. I've, I've give, I'm going to give you the most British answer I could possibly give you, which is fish Ooh. and chips. I think it's fish and chips. And do you know why? It's because this is a year that doesn't like look or sound particularly exciting, but I think it's been a satisfying year. I think it's a year that, you know, we've seen a drying up of funding in the VC space, but at the same time, I feel like we've hit the bottom and things are starting to look up. So I think it's been a good year. It just hasn't been a spectacular year. It's a bit like fish and chips. It's just been kind of comforting and kind of there. Um, so that's what I'm going for. Also, fish and chips became popular because money was tight. It was like the cheapest thing you could get. So I think in a kind of time where funding's dried up, it's a fish and chips year. That's what I'm going for. I, I have very little beyond that. Um, I was going to be facetious because you did give me sight of this question a few hours ago. And when you said which dish it is, I was going to say something like ceramic, but I realized that was just needless. So here's a real answer. Fish and chips is good. I was going to say you have me a fish and chips, either that or sausage roll. Um, yeah, I that would work. I think that works. I nearly said haggis. I nearly said haggis, but I thought, no, fish and chips. All right. So this is what we're going to do when I come over across the pond in mm -hmm. actually very soon. We are going to go out for fish and chips. You're going to take me to your favorite Absolutely. place. All right. Okay, that sounds well, good. Deal. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today uh, to talk about your new book, DeFi Matters. Where can one find it before we go? Yes, you can get it on the Kogan page website. Just look for why DeFi matters and use the code DeFi20 for 20% off. Um, if you want to spend 20% more, get it on Amazon or get a used one there, um, <laughs> which is another thing you can do. Um, and if you do that, then leave a nice review, please, because that's always appreciated. <laughs> Reviews are like oxygen for us. I remember someone said that, and it is so true. We do need reviews. So please do go ahead and get a copy of Why DeFi Matters and leave Ian a nice review. Thank you so much for your time again. And I look forward to running into you somewhere around the world. And uh, for the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision in the new year that is 2024. We will talk to you all next week. Thank you.